Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Jeremiah chapter 16 is where we're headed today, and we are in our 10th lesson here in Jeremiah, weeping for a nation. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet, and so many situations that he weeped over, and there was definitely a lot of reason to weep, and we find ourselves in a lot of reasons to weep these days as well. Before we launch into this chapter, I want to say a couple things. Uh, You know, we talk about how going through trials of life, going through the hard times, the difficult moments, the painful moments, how those actually can make us stronger. In fact, uh, even the world who doesn't know Christ has a limited understanding of this. Kelly Clarkson, who's first American Idol winner, she sings the song, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger. And there's actually a lot of truth in that. God even built that into our bodies. It's called natural immunity. (laughs) I'm not sure if Dr. Fauci has ever heard of it, but it is true. As believers, we know that the trials of our faith produce a stronger faith on the other side of it. Uh, But this morning, I have a question for you. Have you ever thought, have you ever thought about the trials of your life Not just being for your benefit or for strengthening in your life, but have you ever thought about the trials of your life being for the benefit of others? The very reason that God would allow you to go through something would be for somebody else. Throughout the Old Testament, several prophets had this calling to live a symbolic life. In other words, God wanted certain things about their lives to symbolize something about God. Hosea the prophet, he, God told him to marry a harlot, marry a prostitute. Ezekiel, it, man, he had all kinds of strange things he had to do. One of them was lay on his side, you know, for a certain number of days, then flip over and lay on his side for another certain amount of days. Thank, thank the Lord I didn't get that calling. <laughs> Jeremiah, one of the most, he had one of the most painful jobs, I think. And we're going to see a couple things that God told him today. Jeremiah was told by God to have no wife at all, no children at all. Again, I'm really glad God didn't call me to that. I wanted to get married to this gal as soon as I got my driver's license. You know, I mean, I'm ready to get married. Let's do this. I, told, I tell her it's her fault for being so pretty. But by the way, today is her birthday, January 9th. Today is her birthday, yeah. <laughs> but there is a theme that seems to run throughout all of Scripture. And that is, if you're going to be used by God, if God's going to use you in any sense, there's a cost. There's a price. By the way, this debunks the idea of prosperity gospel. (laughs) Uh, We're all going to go through some things. There's going to be a cost. There's going to be a cross. We, we, We may not be a prophet to Israel, but Jesus made it very clear to his followers that there's a cost for if if you want to be his disciple. He said, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross. Now, we may not fully get that meaning. We hear that, we've heard it a lot, that's nice, take up your cross, yes. 
But the early Christians knew exactly what he said as soon as it came out of his mouth. What that meant was, you guys need to be willing to die. You need to be willing to die. If you're going to follow me, you need to be willing to die. But remember, on the other side of a cross is the resurrection. On the other, other side of a test is the testimony. Uh, lots of people want the money without the test. And uh, if, show me the money. <laughs> but that's why... But that's why there is a Hebrews 11, because it's a hall of faith. There's a long list of people who face trials by faith. And now each one of those people has a testimony. They have something to share, something, uh, something that happened in their life that helps others. And Jeremiah stands in Scripture as a prophet who had a, one of the most difficult callings I think there is in all the Bible. But today, in chapter 16, among all the judgment... In this, we're also going to see this flash of grace, this lightning bolt of grace that just comes right in the middle and is so encouraging. And in that blessing, in that grace, includes you and includes me. So this is a sweet moment here. Are you ready for some good news from Jeremiah? I sure am. It's been a steady drumbeat of judgment. Imagine being him and having to uh, tell that year after year after year. Because Judah is now only a couple decades away from Babylon coming in and completely destroying them. It's very difficult, I think, to read the doom and gloom uh, over and over again. But this is God-breathed scripture, everybody, right? This is God-breathed scripture. So obviously, God wants us to feel the weight of the judgment. The weight of why God would have to do something like this to his own people. It certainly helps us appreciate his deliverance even more. So Jeremiah 16, verse 1, here we go. The word of the Lord came also unto me, saying, Thou shalt not take thee a wife, neither shalt thou have sons or daughters in this place. God says, Jeremiah, I'm calling to you to a very unique calling. You're not allowed to have a family. No wife, no children. This, this must have come fairly early in Jeremiah's life, because most men married relatively young back then. And in ancient Jewish days, it was really socially unacceptable for a young man to, to put off marriage for a long time. In fact, there is no Hebrew word for bachelor. <laughs> You're expected to get a little older, get married, and have children. Imagine all the aunts and the grandmas in his family who tried to hook him up. <laughs> Why aren't you married, Jerry? And that's exactly why, uh, what God wanted to happen. God wanted people to ask him over and over again, Jeremiah, why aren't you married? Why have you never gotten married? That's exactly what God wanted. Because you, Jeremiah, are an object lesson. I have a message to send. And this is, you're called to a very lonely existence. But this lonely existence that you're going to face is for the sake of other people so that God could get his message across. Jeremiah became the embodiment of the reality of the situation. We got note papers uh, coming around, so put your hand up if you'd like one, uh, and you could fill those out. Matt, right here. Thanks. So every time Jeremiah is asked, Jeremiah, why don't you have a family? He was to tell them this. Let's look at verse 3. For thus saith the Lord concerning the sons and concerning the daughters that are born in this place, and concerning their mothers that bear them, and concerning their fathers that beget them in this land, they shall die of grievous deaths. They shall not be lamented, 
neither shall they be buried, but they shall be as dung upon the face of the earth. And they shall be consumed by the sword and by famine, and their carcasses shall be meat for the fowls of heaven and for the beasts of the earth. God says that death was about to fall on the land. In just a few decades, that's exactly what would happen when the Babylonians would come in. So many people would die, Jeremiah, and I want you to tell the people this, so many people would die that the undertaker won't be able to keep up. They're just gonna be lying in the streets. And for the Jewish people, especially back then, not having a proper burial was a very, very big deal. People who once had a spouse will be widows. People who had children will be childless. Children would be orphaned. A plague of death and loneliness was about to hit Judah. So Jeremiah, you are not allowed to get married and you are not allowed to have children so that the people could see what is about to come. And, and they would also see that it's better to have no family in those days when judgment comes because when you, when you would lose all of your family, the, the dread and the sadness that would come over you would be so deep Sin has led this nation into death. And sin, this is the lesson here, that God wanted people to know, no matter who read this from that, this day forward, sin eventually makes people miserable every time. You let your life go chasing after whatever, and it makes you miserable. Romans 6 and verse 21, it's not up here, but it says this. Listen closely, and how many people could agree with this? Paul says, what fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? What fruit was in those things? For the end of those things is death. In other words, what do you owe to sin? When has sin ever been a blessing to you? What fruit have you gotten from that? The end of sin is always death. It's death of relationships. It's death, uh, death of inner joy. It's death of peace. It's death of dreams, it's death. And how many people would agree, people who are in jail today, people who are strung out on drugs today, people who have lost their family because of series of their sinful choices, because uh, of sin. But there was more that God wanted Jeremiah to display. Verse five, for thus saith the Lord, enter not into the house of mourning. In other words, Jeremiah, you're not allowed to go to funerals. I don't want you to go to a funeral. Neither go to lament nor bemoan them, for I have taken away my peace from this people, saith the Lord, even loving kindness and mercies. Both the great and the small shall die in this land. They shall not be buried, neither shall men lament for them, nor cut themselves, nor make themselves bald for them, neither shall men tear themselves for them in mourning to comfort them for the dead. Neither shall men give them the cup of consolation to drink for their father or for their mother. God tells Jeremiah, when someone dies and they call you to come in in their hour of need, don't go. You're the prophet, you're a priest, is how he started, but you don't go. Why? Because I have taken away my peace from this people. In this very unique moment, this is a unique calling. It's not, God is not calling everybody to do this. But God was trying to get these people to see that how very, very real this judgment is. God is not just 
talking to hear himself talk. He's not just saying things. This is going to happen, people. How else can I show it to you? I've had Jeremiah saying, I've had prophets coming and speaking and prophesying what's going to happen, and Jeremiah day after day saying what he needs to say. But how else can I show it to you? Well, Jeremiah, here's what I want you to do. Don't even go to their funerals. You are going to embody the withdrawal of God's peace. You're gonna embody the withdrawal of God's loving kindness and mercy, as I said there. If Jeremiah was to go to a funeral, it would be counterproductive to the message that God was trying to get across. In verses six and seven, we see that this symbol, this, this uh, not going to funerals was a symbol that during the judgment, there would be no time for customary funerals. There'd be no time for sympathy. There would be too much death going on. And all the things that they would uh, culturally normally do during uh, the shaving of the head and all these things was mentioned there, uh, there's gonna be none of that. And there's gonna be no funerals. People are just gonna be dying. Again, this is a very unique calling for a very unique time and it's not for everyone. It's not for us. We are called, as the Bible says, to weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Uh, Certainly God has not put that on our life to not attend funerals and not comfort people around us. This was a very unique thing to this, uh, this man. But let me say this. Jeremiah does provide, I think, an application for us here. And here's the application I think we can take. Sometimes Christians, we Christians, can be counterproductive to God's message. We might know a backslider, somebody who's gone off the rails, and uh, they want nothing to do with God. And we might try to help them. We might try to think that we're going to try to really just um, do what we can to Uh, give them all that we can to really just bless them. And sometimes we we do need to obviously show mercy and love and all of that. However, there there is a line where we begin to cross where it becomes enabling. God may want to make things very hard on that person on purpose. And if we get in the way and we try to soften things, uh, we could actually harm God's work and be counterproductive to the message that God's trying to send. Uh, we, don't, I can't, we can't say exactly how every situation ought to go at this moment, but here's the message. Don't be an enabler. Let God do his work. Tom Harmon, uh, when he was here, he made a great observation when he was talking about the parable of the prodigal son. This is a powerful moment, I think, as he was speaking. He made this observation. He said, remember, the father in that story never moved. He never moved. He never went out and chased that son. He never moved. He stayed right there. And the son had to come back to him. And that's uh, one thing that we need to keep in mind. But there's more, Jeremiah. Verse eight, thou shalt not also go into the house of feasting to sit with them to eat and to drink. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will cause to cease out of this place in your eyes and in your days the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. You're not allowed to go to parties, Jeremiah. (laughs) That's what God is saying. When everybody's out having a good time, you stay home alone. God wanted these people to see this very sad day that was coming, the day of judgment, that their sin has brought upon this land. There would be no feasting in those days. 
There'll be no parties in those days. There'll be no mirth in those days. There'll be no weddings then. There'll be no gladness. All of that will be gone. Your sin has brought sadness on this land. What a lesson. How can there be, and this is for any of our lives, how can there be true joy when the presence of God is not there? How really could there be? How could you truly fully enjoy a, a gathering of people if God is, has nothing to do with anybody's, in anybody's heart or mind? How, really can, how much joy can you really get? So we see that Jeremiah was forbidden to marry, he's forbidden to mourn, and he's for, forbidden to mingle. Imagine all the looks and the comments when uh, Jeremiah was in downtown Anathoth. Yeah, he, he's, look at that, he's a social outcast, this guy. We walked down the street, moms took their kids to the other side, you know. Kids, don't go around that guy. He is strange, he never goes to funerals, he never goes to weddings, he doesn't go to family gatherings, he refuses to get married, something is wrong with that guy. Jeremiah the pariah. And, uh, you know, I've, I, there was an interesting show. I saw one episode of this. So I don't really know all about that. I was on an airplane, actually. We, I watched this little show. Uh, it's called Adam Ruins Everything. I don't know if you've heard of this one. But it's this guy, Adam. He's, you know, kind of science-y. And he takes on a, some kind of a, a little common familiar thing that we all know and accept, like the one I saw was this. Diamonds are expensive because they're rare. And so he took on this concept. Are diamonds expensive because they're rare? And he made this whole case and this whole show that diamonds are actually not rare at all. And they're only expensive because we'll pay high prices for them. And he, he really, what he said was, uh, he, that's why he ruins everything, because he just basically ruined all wedding rings, you know. Hey, wait a second. And... Um, but, but this is how I feel about Jeremiah. Jeremiah ruins everything. He, he comes to your, he's, he's standing around, you don't even want to be around him. But it's because you would look at that and just say, how sad, I, that's not what I want. And God said, exactly, exactly. That's what's going to happen because of the sin that you've allowed to come into this nation. Jeremiah had a lonely exist, existence and this is exactly God's point. Sin brings, sin brings pain, it brings separation it brings heartache do we get God's message yet but God knows human nature and he knows what the people will say when this is presented to them they're presented with the discipline that that they deserve and we deserve they're going to say who me what did I do and verse 10 look and it shall come to pass when thou shalt show this people all these words and they shall say unto thee wherefore Hath the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? I was just thinking, imagine Jeremiah's face when they ask him this. Jeremiah, I have he's thinking, I have spent the last several years talking to you specifically about your open sin and rebellion. We talked about... I've, I very clearly said what God has told me to say about you putting idols up in the temple itself, right next to the altar of God, and you worshiping that right next to God, and all the wickedness that you do up on these high mountains, and you go up there, and just the wicked, wicked things you do, and then the killing of babies on the altar of Molech, and you're asking me why? It's a good thing that God is long-suffering. Or as like Dave Ramsey says, you know, uh, God, God would send a little, there would be a little greasy spot left where you, you once stood, you know. 
in this moment, if they ask something like that, but God is long-suffering, and if, if they ask you why I'm doing this, verse 11, then shalt thou say unto them, because your fathers have forsaken me, saith the Lord, and have walked after other gods, and have served them, and have worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law. Notice here real quick in this verse, twice it says they have forsaken me. Have forsaken me, the fathers have forsaken me, and then again, have forsaken me. Can you tell what hurts the Lord the most? He has never forsaken them, not one day, but they have forsaken him time and time and time and time again. The first of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Not worshiping God is a huge deal to God. Someone has said the first commandment is often the last to be considered. But it's a big deal. But this also shows the principle of national responsibility that we all have. What your fathers have forsaken me. You know, when God decides that it's time for an entire nation to face judgment for centuries of sins, the present generation has the unfortunate position of maybe bearing the, uh, the largest brunt of that. But this does not mean that the present generation is innocent. They were still in covenant with God just like the other ones were and they could have at any time turned back and repented and turned this thing around, turned the whole ship around. Remember in Deuteronomy 7 it says that God is a God who keeps covenant with those who love and keep his commandments for a thousand generations. So by, by way of application here, even though for you and me, even though we're not Jews, every one of us has the responsibility to not forsake the Lord. Not just for our sake, but for the sake of the generations following. We all have a national responsibility. But it's almost as if God predicts the next question that they're going to ask and he answers it before they even say it. God is judging us for our father's sins? How is that fair? Verse 12. And he have, here, here's God speaking to them, and ye have done worse than your fathers. For behold, ye walk everyone after the imagination of his evil heart, that they may not hearken unto me. No, you're not as bad as your fathers. You're worse. There's nothing in the imagination of your evil heart that you won't do. You think it, you feel it, and you just go out and do it. Nothing's restricting you. In other words, all you do is follow your heart. All you do is follow your heart. But as any honest person knows, following your heart is, an, is a big mistake. Huge. Why? Because of something that Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 17, the very next chapter. One of the most popular verses in the entire book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Again, I don't think I have it here, but here it is. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? According to the scriptures, all of us enter into this world under a curse. And our hearts are just wicked. From even from the very youngest age, our hearts are wicked. We have a deceitful, as it says here, heart, which means polluted. We have a desperately wicked heart, which means sick and frail and incurable. We have inherited sin. This is the doctrine of depravity. We have inherited sin from Adam that is put on our account. That is just because we're, in Adam, we all sinned. He was our, he was our representative in the garden 
and we all come from him, and so therefore we have sinned in Adam. But don't say, that's not fair. God shouldn't judge me for that because we also have committed sin. And in some ways, we've done worse than Adam and Eve. We have all of history behind us knowing that we shouldn't do those things and we still rebel and we still do what God tells us not to do. Sin is a principle and sin is an act. Sin is inside of us, it's a pollutant, it's a cancer that's in us, but it's also something that we do. So no one is without excuse. And us today who, who bear the disease of sin, the penalty is death, the Bible says. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For us, the penalty is death. It's death physically, death spiritually, death eternally. And that's the situation that all of us are in, all mankind are in since Adam, and only Jesus can remove that polluted heart and put a brand new heart full of righteousness inside of us. And that's what happens. That's the miracle of the new birth. When Jesus comes in and changes a person, he gives them a brand new heart, a heart full of righteousness. And these verses remind us of that doctrine, the doctrine of depravity and then the wonderful doctrines of sanctification, justification, all of those things. But for this situation, for the Jews here in Jeremiah's day, the penalty for them breaking this uh, special covenant with God was this, verse 13. Therefore will I cast you out of this land into a land that ye know not, neither ye nor your fathers, and there ye shall serve other gods day and night, where I will not show you favor. Notice what it says here. I'm going to send you out of this land into a land that you know not. We know now that this is Babylon. And there ye shall serve other gods day and night. God basically says, you know, this whole time, here in Judah, you're my people, I've given you this land, and day after day you've chased after these other gods. Well, I'm going to just let that, all that come home to roost because I'm going to send you, if you like idol worshiping, I'm going to send you to the idol worshiping capital of the world. I'm sending you to Babylon. And there you can serve and worship your idols day and night, and you're going to see the result of that. You're going to see the end result of giving yourself to gods other than the true, one true God. This is a crazy story. Listen to this. About is, I think it was 2017. There was a man in Japan, and I read about this in, an, in a news article. This man in Japan, he died after six, in his apartment, after six tons of porn magazines fell on him in his apartment. He'd been collecting these dirty magazines all his life. He was 38 years old. Nobody had heard from him. He didn't show up for work, and, and nobody knew what had happened to this guy. And so he hadn't been paying rent, so finally six months of not paying rent, the landlord finally says, send the cleaning crew in there. And they got in there, and they found all these magazines, and they started to take them out, and they found him under their dead. Six months he'd been dead. <laughs> You could say that his life choices came crashing down on him. The, the, the title of the article was this. Turns out porn is bad for you. <laughs> but listen, this is powerful. God tells Judah, fine. You want idols? You want to do, get into all that wickedness? 
I'm gonna send you to Babylon and you're gonna experience what happens when all that sin comes crashing down on you. When all of that stuff, you think those little choices, you think we're fine, when all of that piled up just comes down. That's sin. That's what sin does to people. We build it, we build it, we build it, we, we do it, we do it, we think it's no problem and then one day it comes down. There were dark days for Judah. These were very dark days. But are you ready for some good news here? Up to this point, Jeremiah has almost all been bad news. But God didn't want anyone to think that he was done with Israel. With God, judgment is never the end of the story. Like a parent who disciplines his child, the spanking is not the end. It's the beginning. It's for a greater purpose. There's something I'm doing for the future. And here's this sudden flash of grace that just pops up right here in the middle of this passage. Verse 14. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said. The Lord liveth that brought up the children out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands whither he had driven them. And I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers. So listen up all Jews, there's coming a day when the people will no longer say, Jehovah is God, the one who delivered us from Egypt. But there's going to be a new phrase on everybody's mouth and that's this, Jehovah, God, the one who delivered us from Babylon, the one who delivered us from the north. In other words, there's coming a day, another epic day of deliverance for our people that people are going to be talking about forever and here we are today still talking about it. You're going to stay in, Jer- in, J- in Babylon for 70 years, as we know now, but then after that, God's going to deliver you just like he did in Egypt. Isn't this beautiful? God is so kind, think about this, to give them the promise of the return before he even ever sends them into judgment because he loves them. Reminds us of the promises of deliverance that God has given to all people before they ever even were born. While you were sinners, Christ died for us. You know, before Jesus ever came and before we were ever even born, God said, I'm gonna send my son. He gave, sent all these prophets to tell people about the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ before we ever even uh, went into our sin, long before Jesus came. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. When God promises deliverance, he always delivers. And from Israel's standpoint, when you stop and think about it, I just, you start taking this in and soaking this up. It's amazing how these descendants of Abraham from 4,000 years ago, in their history, all these 4,000 years, they keep returning to their land. There's no story like it on the face of the planet. It's never happened. Israel's God and our God is known as, and he's famous for being, a God of restoration a God of second chances, a God who must punish sin but will remember mercy in the end. Well, God goes back to the bad news for a minute here. Before deliverance, I have to deal with the sin. Verse 16, Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. Babylonians were known for their hunting and Egyptians, Israel's other enemy, was known for their fishing. 
And God's saying, I'm gonna send them and they're gonna, they're gonna pull you out. Everyone is gonna be affected by this judgment. You can run, but you cannot hide. The enemy will find you. Verse 17, for mine eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from my face. Neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. And first, I will recompense their iniquity and their sin double. Because they have defiled my land, they have filled mine inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable things. The better sense of the word double here is once and again. God is giving a just, a fair repayment for the iniquity and the sin of, of all their disgusting forms of worshiping idols for all of these years, for their fa- from their fathers and to them. But as we end this chapter, we see there one last ray of hope here at the end. This chapter that really started in so much pain, st- talking about Jeremiah and the things he would have to go through, it now ends on a high note. And Jeremiah just starts to burst in, forth in worship and prayer here as he sees a vision of the future. Verse 19, O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. Jeremiah is just worshiping as he sees this day coming when when not only the Jews will return, but the Gentiles will realize that they have been worshiping false gods. This whole time we've been, they've been telling us lies. There are actually no gods. Gentiles, which are non-Jews from all over the world, will flock to the one true God, rejecting the gods of their forefathers. In verse 20, these Gentiles will say, Shall a man make gods unto himself, and they are no gods? They'll finally figure it out. (laughs) Man cannot make a God. That's an impossibility. God can make a man, but man cannot make a God. Oh, it just dawned on us. Now we understand. It's impossible for us to make our own God. So here's what will happen. The result of God's judgment is sending the Jews to Babylon and then after that, the Jews when they will be restored in their land. And then the Gentiles will begin to come who have witnessed all of this. And they're going to begin to renounce their idolatry and start to worship the true God, Jehovah. You know, Isaiah and Zechariah, they saw this vision also. God gave them that vision. And this was fulfilled partly at the return from Babylon when Israel came back to their land. And did you know from that day forward, the Jews entirely renounced idols, even to this day. The Jewish people just have never returned to idol worship. And a partial fulfillment has already taken place in the world. This is a time where Gentiles now are flocking to the Lord. And this is a partial fulfillment of this. That's you and me. Every time we have a church service on a Sunday, we're celebrating the partial fulfillment of this right here. The Gentiles are beginning to flock. The the time of the Gentiles. But this prophecy won't be entirely fulfilled until the millennial reign of Christ. That's the end fulfillment. When people will come and be gathered and Jews and Gentiles all together will live under the rule of Christ for a thousand years right here. What an amazing day that will be. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that day. 
Verse 21, therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know, I will cause them to know mine hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. In the end, we see a plan that God is doing here that is so much bigger than just sending Judah into captivity to Babylon. From the very beginning, remember what God has designed this whole thing for. He called Abraham, and one of the blessings, one of the parts of this covenant with Abraham was that your seed will be a blessing to the entire earth. And the Jews, since then, so often have been squandering that call. God chastens them and chastens them and brings them back, but then finally God allows them to return so that, so that finally that part of that covenant can be fulfilled, that you will bless. See, God has always had in his mind to deliver and save the Gentiles and the Jews. He, he has always desired people, people come and be saved. And for many, that's part of this, the Jews have thrown that away. But now it's all gonna come back. And God, this is God keeping his plan on track. And so in this ch- chapter, we begin with this social exclusion of one guy, Jeremiah. You're excluded from everything. But it ends with this inclusion of the nations. God has always wanted men to be saved and he, and he's, and he always has wanted people just to come to him and worship. Only by knowing the Lord, only by him can the entire world be saved. Can anybody in the world, only through him. I'm gonna share this last little story and I'm done. One Sunday morning, a man woke up about 5 a.m. His wife and children were still asleep and so he, glad to have a few moments to himself, so he went downstairs, started some coffee, pulled out the newspaper. It's before the time of cell phones. And three sentences into his article, he saw his five-year-old daughter start coming down the stairs. And he saw his daughter coming down and he said, honey, go back to bed, go back to bed. But I'm not sleepy, daddy. (sighs) But he really wanted to read his newspaper. And so he said, please, honey, just go to bed. Daddy, I'm not tired. All right, fine. He looked down at his newspaper. He, he saw this little picture of the world, and he just, it hit him real quick. He grabbed a pair of scissors, cut that up in a couple little pieces. And he said, all right, here, you sit over here. You take these, all these pieces of the, of the paper, and you try to put the world back together, okay? You do this little thing, and, and I'm going to sit over here and read my paper. And so he was glad to just leave, uh, let her to herself for a few minutes. Takes a couple sips of coffee. Daddy, I'm finished. <coughs> oh, sweetie, let me see. How did you do that so fast? And he came, went over there to look and see what she had done. So, oh, Daddy, this was easy. On the back side of this, there's a picture of a man. And I just got the man back together. And then the world was back together. And she... And he, he thought of this in his mind. When you make the man right, you make the world right. <clears throat> in a similar way, the message here of Jeremiah is only the God-man can make this world what it needs to be. Only, only God, only him, only Jesus really is the one that can make everything make sense and put the whole thing back together. He is the deliverer. And he's the deliverer for nations and he's the deliverer for individuals. He's the only way we can put our life together too. Lord, we love you.
And if we get We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.